I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my Thoughts on Money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. And I'm here with my co-host, none other than Mr. Sean Latimer. Good morning. Today is going to be a psychology session. All right, I'm ready. You're going to talk me through my weaknesses. Okay, have a seat on the couch. And uh, I'll take notes, and let's do this. Yeah, diagnose me. So one of the things I jumped into today, and I did this kind of intersection between losing weight, teaching Sunday school, and personal finance. And the intersection point really was the importance of finding an environment somebody can be successful in. And what I talked about with food is that weight loss is really hard, but it has a lot to do with what you eat, and sometimes even just smaller portion sizes. Is that true? Yeah, I kind of laughed at first because I was like, oh, I guess we're sticking on the fitness trade because... We talked a little bit about that last week. Yeah, I feel like this was, I wanted to reference last week, this was a continuation of some of my thoughts last week, but um, it feels like fitness and finance, even though we both worked in those fields, they just have a lot in common. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, a lot of things that are healthy for you are also very difficult um, and similar struggles. So I I talked about in the article that even something as simple as getting smaller dishes, right? Mm -hmm. Like making a smaller plate um, means you can put less calories on that plate. Uh, then I went on to talk about Sunday school. I was a Sunday school teacher, or I still am, for the last you know almost two decades now, which is crazy to me. Um, and I talked about this one incident where we have this 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 child. This is really difficult. Mm-hmm. Ha, you're a baseball coach. Have, are the because yeah. the kids want to play all baseball? All different types of personalities. Okay, is it ha- difficult? Yeah, sometimes you know you're trying to talk to the group, and some just can't focus or be quiet, and and uh, and it's challenging at times. Yeah. Yeah, so for me, for a long time still, there's like this pretty steep learning curve of like each kid is different and how do you orchestrate that, right? We I've been in a lot of estate planning meetings lately and uh, one of the things that I learned from uh, Phil Barnhill who used to oversee our risk department, he always used to say, uh, what, what would he say? Uh, equitable doesn't mean equal. And, and basically saying like, hey, when you're thinking about estate planning and leaving wealth to your kids, it doesn't mean that they all have to get the same amount of money. You have to decipher as the, the person that is uh, the person bequesting the money to, to figure out what is equitable. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like, I mean, I'll make it easier. You go look up equitable in, in the dictionary. It doesn't talk about things being equal. It talks about things being fair. Mm-hmm. So as a, as a baseball coach or as a Sunday school teacher, you have to think, hey, how am I going to adjust to each kid's personality? And I talked about how we had this really difficult kid in Sunday school, and I remember how much trouble I had. Uh, we would constantly just page his parents and say, hey, we need your help. Uh, this, yeah. is, this isn't working. But I remember being with this like really excellent Sunday school teacher, and I was the co-host or whatever you'd call me. Uh, I, was, I was the helper. And I was like looking forward to it because I was like, hey, I want a front row seat for how she handles this kid. And I remember we walked into the room. First thing she did is she gave him a coloring book and crayons. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. I looked over the, um, the lesson plan. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. so this lesson plan day. We're not coloring. What, what is this? And then she just went on with her lesson. And he sat there with the group coloring the entire time. And for me, it was an example of it wasn't, it wasn't equal. Not everybody was getting the opportunity to, to, to color. But what she was doing was she was eliminating him being a distraction for others yeah. and also helping him to focus. So at first I was like, oh, that's – She's cheating. Like, he's just going to color. But I remember after asking him, like, hey, what was the lesson or whatnot? And he recited everything, knew all the right answers. It was like he had this new focus when he was coloring as he was listening. So it reminded me, like, oh, really good 
uh, strategy for me in Sunday school, you need to find out with every student, how do you create an environment that they can be successful in? And it's very hard because you have all different students. Yeah. I, uh, when I was first listening, I, I thought that was a pretty cool ending of the story that not only was he not a distraction, but he was able to recite it and pay attention. And, uh, and then you do a good job connecting at that. You have to set yourself up for success when it comes to budgeting and saving and earmarking because uh, I, I'm the same way. I, I, I have categories that the money's going towards. And sorry, I'm segueing pretty quick. No, here, it's but, fine. Uh, when you do have um, you know your monthly budget and you know this money goes here, this money goes there, this money goes there, it makes it a lot easier to stick to the plan because then if you're just winging it, you're probably going to make the wrong decisions. Yeah, I'm going to go two steps backwards because I want to talk what you want to talk about, but I, I do want to reiterate what you mentioned there and saying, like, it was unreal how much he knew about the story. We used to give what we called Bible bucks at the end of the the time mm-hmm. just to kind of see, like, oh, what was the name of the person here? Where were they? And he was just, like, spouting it off as he was coloring, like, no joke. And I was like, this is unreal. Like, he knew every nuance of everything that happened that day. And I am sure somebody listening to this knows a lot more about education than I do because I know very little. And maybe there's something to that. But he needed a distraction in order for him to focus, which seems so backwards. Yeah, maybe he's normally just bored. And so he needs he can multitask and still focus. Yeah. I mean, this happened. I'm sure this I mean, he was probably trying to think in my head like six or seven. He's probably 17 now. It happened so long ago, but it was so memorable. And what you were kind of segueing to is the way I took this into personal finance, a huge struggle for me. Like, I'm just being honest. That's why I call it a psychology session. Like, extra money in my checking account disappears. Mm-hmm. And I, I said in the article, I don't have like a, a shopping addiction. It's just when I see extra, I figured it has to go somewhere. So like, and again, this is not you know, a self-promotion, like sometimes it's charitable endeavors. Like I I was like, wait, we have a lot of extra. Let's just give to this or let's, you know, get this extravagant gift for our in-laws or whatever it might be is I am not good when there's extras. And what I defined in the article is we typically like to keep like four months of our expenses in our checking account. And I I mentioned, why is it not three months or five months? Because what I'm comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And that's what you got to figure out for you. Like I've had clients that said, I just like to have a million dollars in cash. Like that is always the number for me that I feel comfortable and that's fine. As long as that works with the financial plan, I do think you should build around somebody's preferences and and where their comfort levels are because there's very few things that are going to keep you up at night and finances are one of them. So as much as you can lean into your comforts, I I think that's important. So what ends up happening for our family is when it gets above that four months, it's not safe with Trevor, Mm -hmm. right? I need it at an arm's length. So... I talked about, for me, what I needed to do to be successful in personal finance, I needed earmarking. I needed to take it out of that account and place it somewhere else so that I wouldn't, so that I could be a good steward. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, Do you have that same problem? Sorry. Are you fine with that? Definitely do. Okay. But like you said, I I make it that that's not uh, actually going to happen, where everything goes somewhere at some point. And if it's sitting in my checking account for too long then uh, I find a new category goes till because I'll do the same thing. If I think there's extra, then, oh, it goes back to uh, can we afford this or should we should we buy it, you know? And uh, if the answer is can we, yes, that's that's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, that's I don't know why that's always stuck with me. You and I have talked about it so much, but the worst question you can ask yourself in personal finance is can you afford this? Because 
the answer yes makes you feel like you should do it. Right. And uh, I'll tell you a bad mix of things. Being in that situation and doing a lot of construction at my house, mm-hmm. uh, I said a yes to a lot of things that uh, if I went back, I wish I wouldn't have. I hope my wife doesn't listen to this. Um, so one other thing you just said is uh, if clients have a preference to hold a lot of cash, the most important part is if it works with the financial plan. Because I've had that come up where they say, hey, I'm just really comfortable owning this or, or keeping in cash or whatever it might be. And, but then the plan doesn't work. And sometimes it's a tough conversation that you you need to lean on your preference. But at the same time, you have to do what's best for yourself. The success of the tr- financial plan trumps everything. Yes. Then if the financial plan can be successful through multiple routes. Right. Right. So I do this sometimes. I don't know if you do this, but there's sometimes I'm going somewhere and I will not take the fastest route. So we live in Southern Orange County. There are times where we're going home from a restaurant and I'll ask my wife, Nicole, like, hey, do you want to take PCH on the way home? Because it's fun. We get to yeah. see. What, so it's not the most efficient route. No. Um, and it's not the fastest route, but there's a preference there. Now, it doesn't hurt anything. Now, if we had to be somewhere at a certain time, like we were going to a meeting or something like that, can't do that. Right. right? So um, like that's where the financial plan has to trump everything. And then from there, you can be accommodating as long as you get to that same end goal. Yeah, you said it perfect. And th- those of you that don't know, PCH is that really pretty drive, but lots of stoplights. Oh, yes. Uh, Pacific Coast Highway. I, I had a problem when I first moved down here. My friends all make fun of me that I've always, I will always call it the PCH. Oh, because <laughs> we say the 405 or the 5, but yeah, you can't say the PCH. Yeah, they're like, it's not the PCH. <laughs> so I take PCH. Um, so when I, when I got this idea of the art of earmarking, which was really helpful to me, the next step, which is also difficult, is you can't just blindly earmark, right? Because you have to think like, hey, if I drop all this money in my retirement account, I technically can't touch it till I'm... Can we say 60 because 59 and a half doesn't roll off the tongue? I can't touch it for a long time. So you have to be thoughtful on what your priorities are. So I went through, for our own family, like we think, hey, um, we want to be charitable. So we like this concept of first fruits. So the first place we allocate money or earmark is to our charitable account. Perfect. We check that off. Next, we do want this idea of thinking about future self and understanding that um, our hope is that we live far past 60 and that we want to set aside finances for that. And there's some tax benefits for retirement accounts. Okay, perfect. I have earmarked towards charitable. I have earmarked towards retirement accounts. We understand that our our cost of healthcare is going to be more expensive in the future. So we earmark towards health savings accounts. So it's just going down this list. And the, the intent is to flush every dollar above that four months out of my checking account. And if there's still leftovers, then I need to make up some goals. Because it is not good in my hands. I think you forgot one big category. Basketball Tax- shoes? Taxes. <laughs> Taxes. Yes, <laughs> I, I hate that priority. Yeah, uh, very, very um, interesting thing this year if you're a Californian and because of weather, you've delayed tax payments, quarterly payments till October. You have to be very thoughtful. You definitely have to earmark. <laughs> yeah, that you're going to have three or four quarters of payments all due at once. So, um Yes, the art of earmarking has definitely saved me, um, or maybe it hurt me during this construction project. Uh, again, my reason for laying on the couch and getting advice from you. You know what's funny is I was making fun of you the other day. I was talking to a client. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no problem. I do it a lot. And uh, we were talking about, you know, but he was agonizing over buying a used car, and then he finally like bit the bullet 
and he, he bought actually like a truck and a camper because he wanted to start doing trips with his wife and his kids. And I was telling him, I think it's great. He goes, yeah, but I was just reading something that said that, you know, used car prices might come down 10% this year because of this, this, and that. And I, and I was kind of laughing because I operate the same way. Like I will wait and agonize on a purchase like basketball shoes or I'm like, oh, there's a new version coming out in three months. Maybe I don't need them now. I'll wait. Even though the current ones I was wearing were like trashed, right? And and then I'd go to the, a different store because it was $20 cheaper, whatever it might be. And and then I would laugh because it, it reminds me of you remodeling your house. Big things, you don't think twice. You're like, yeah, whatever, sure. But basketball shoes, I'm going to scour the internet for 40 minutes, drive to a store 20 minutes further away to save 20 bucks. And sometimes it, it's just not worth it. Grief to benefit ratio. Exactly. So I, I was laughing because I was saying that you and I are both frugal sometimes about the wrong things. Yeah, it's it's a good point to have. I really liked David's Dividend Cafe, and I've gotten a lot of good feedback from clients on it too this week. I hadn't heard that term before. I don't know if it's a common term, but that idea of the last dollar. And uh, it's a very interesting concept that people agonize over that last dollar, right? Whether it's a real estate transaction wanting to just get the most that they possibly can or when they're going to sell a stock or uh, negotiating their salary or whatever it is. And David was kind of talking about like, there's probably a a diminishing benefit to Mm -hmm. those last dollars in how much agony that they're causing somebody. And it makes you reframe yourself of like, huh, um, how much uh, of my financial stress is self-inflicted because of agonizing over the last dollar? Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of that now. There, there's a few houses listed in, in my neighborhood, and and I was surprised when they were listed at prices that sold. I, I I know why they determined that price because that's what sold for about a year ago. And my first thought was like, oh, I didn't know houses were still going for that, and they've been sitting on the market and they're not adjusting. And, and I I kind of think about that that you know David mentioned it, but agonizing like, no, I'm gonna get what I'm deserved. Or I'm gonna get what I'm owed. The Thompsons you, down the street got X there's no and way our I'm house is nicer. Yeah. And so I, I, I was like, wow, I wonder – you start to think like, well, if they sit on it for too long where and I'm sure they're buying a new place or whatever it might be, it's like, man, you can end up shooting yourself in the foot. So I remember recently listening to somebody who was um, – that was their field was real estate, right? And one of the things they said kind of surprised me. I had to stop, like repeat what they said and think about it. And he was saying – that a fall in transactions is a leading indicator to a fall in prices. That makes sense. Yeah, it didn't make sense to me at the beginning, but maybe uh, how would you unpack that? Well, there's less deals happening, which means that there's going to be more inventory, which means the prices will have to come down because there's more options for buyers. Yeah, and you went through the supply and demand kind of calculation Mm -hmm. there, which makes a lot of sense. I was thinking more just the behavioral finance is that, well, why is there less transactions? Because sellers are stubborn. Right, is that they saw the Thompsons down the street sell it for X, so they want X plus. Yeah, and they're going to hold out, hold out until, and a, a term we really only use in finance nowhere else, capitulation. And capitulation is that that point where you finally throw in the towel, start stop fighting for the last dollar, and you just want to create a transaction. That's true. And uh, that conversation I was having with the client about used car prices. There's a lot of things happening in that market where banks are changing their financing to dealerships dealerships are needing to come up with cash and they have uh, cars sitting on the lot now. And the only way to do that, just like if uh, someone misbudgeted and they had a short sale, not short sale, but sell a stock at a loss because they need the cash, it's the same thing. They send the cars to auction where they take less for it, but it gets them, it makes them whole because they don't want that much inventory sitting on the lot. 
which floods the used car market and brings prices down. And, and it's pretty interesting. I, I, I like hearing about that stuff. Yeah, I like to watch the domino effects. I mean, even everything we're experiencing right now with COVID turns the world off, then it turns the world back on, then we get a spike in inflation, then the Fed responds, then Silicon Valley Bank struggles. And we're just seeing that we can look at economics from like a computation standpoint of like this number and X and this theory and all that. But then when it really comes down to it, we just see the behaviors, right? We see stubbornness, we see greed, we see fear, and how all these things that are touchy-feely, squishy, uh, become computation, right? They become like if person does X, then person does Y, and then prices do you know, Z or, or whatnot. It's it's very interesting for me to have a front front row seat and watch that kind of stuff. Yeah. And if everyone operated just on logic, then the markets would be super efficient and th- there would be no opportunity, but markets don't operate that way. So that's what creates opportunity. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the places that I was almost concluding the article is that I could see somebody reading this article and and being like, oh, like, I kind of wish you would have given me you know, a cool tax strategy, or I kind of wish you would have, you know, tickled my intellectual curiosities about, you know, a certain stock. But fair enough, you can say that. To me, this concept, the art of earmarking, super impactful for my own personal finances. Like I know my own weaknesses, right? And I know that um, if I'm a good, do a good job at earmarking and getting it out of my hands and taking away some of those freedoms by, you know, ring fencing it in something for a future goal. It's really, really good for me. Now, do I implement some unique and complex tax strategies? Yeah. Do I um, really care about the style of investments I own in, in my portfolio? I do. And you might not believe me, but I think the framing and the behavior and, and and the way that I've kind of taught myself to do this, the art of earmarking, is much more impactful than those those little things. I do think added together those little things can move the needle. But but for me, this has saved me from a lot of harm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And for the listeners, uh, I think we did give you a few ideas. So, you know, charitable giving, donor advice fund, l- l- reach out if you have questions. 529s. Some states do give deductions, not California, but depending on the state you live in for contributions. So, and then the last one, health savings account. If you have a high deductible plan, most of the time you contribute to HSA. It's the only thing that's actually triple tax-free because it goes in pre-tax. It grows tax-exempt if the expenses are used for medical and they come out tax-free. So there, three ideas. Yeah, they're great ideas. And, and it's fun to even, I had a long conversation yesterday with somebody about 529 plans. And one of the things, because uh, I was so influenced by Khan Academy, um, this gentleman who was, you know, tutoring, uh, I think, his, his niece or nephew and just used the drawing tools, right? So yeah. I, I was drawing on, on the screen for a Zoom call, and I was just explaining, like, hey, like, before we talk about if 529 plans are good or bad, let's strictly talk about what benefit could you derive. And I talked about, hey – if you contribute at a really young age, the benefit you're going to get is you're going to have more years to compound that money. So what's the real benefit of a 529? It's the the gap between what you put into it and what it's worth, mm-hmm. right? Because in a normal account, that gap would be treated like a capital gain. But in a 529, you get a tax advantage where you don't have to pay tax on that if it's used for education. There's the other side of that coin. If you overfund and it's not used for education, there's a penalty, right? There's a 10% penalty on that. So 
I think sometimes people can toil over, you know, should I do this or should I not do this? Where I really think you have to look at, hey, what is the actual benefit? Like the brass tacks. And then measure that benefit and say, sometimes is this worth agonizing over, right? Like if you're not going to put a meaningful amount into the 529 today, like let's say you have a son that's 17 years old and he's going to go to college next year. I'm going to help you out. A 529 is not going to really move the needle because you need lots of years of compounding to create a gap between what you put into it and what it's worth. But I still find people, and again, I'm not criticizing, but I have found people with teenage children like agonizing over the decision. I'm like, I don't know if that's worth a lot of your brain power. Right. Like let's shift over here to something that is more impactful. Yeah. And a lot of times 529s use target date funds to be invested. So the closer that they are to being used, they normally shift to be more conservative. So you're really limiting uh, the, the total return possibility as you get later. Yeah. And that's why sometimes in financial decisions, it's 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 actually nice to live in extremes. Like look at the spectrum of what you could do, right? We know in 529 plans, because you can give, I think, $17,000 mm-hmm. a year right now, and, and you don't have to file a gift tax exemption or anything like that. So uh, if mom and dad each give seventeen, that's 34, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can give uh, five years all at once. You can super fund a 529. So technically, you could put 170000 in a 529 today, right? On the other end, you could put zero. And I think you run both of those scenarios out, and then somebody can figure out where do they want to land between the 170 and zero based on the benefits there. But again, I found so many discussions where somebody's like, should I own this stock versus that stock? Or should I 529 or not 529? And all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, like, Let's see how weighty or meaty this decision is. And if it doesn't have like a gigantic impact on your financial plan, then maybe we should dedicate some focus and discussion elsewhere. Makes sense. So what I hope you grabbed from this article is that you need to create an environment that you're successful in. Uh, The art of earmarking might not apply to you. Uh, Maybe you don't have the same personal finance struggles that I have where uh, leftover money in your checking account um, all of a sudden disappears and who knows where it went. Um, But for me... That is a difficulty. So uh, personal finance is personal. So you have to adjust and acclimate for you. Um, And again, maybe this article has a lot more to do with somebody in the accumulation stage more than the distribution stage. But uh, if that's you, this is a really good article to forward to your children um, because this is a very good lesson to learn if you're on the beginning stages of building out your finances. Last week, we talked about financial freedom. I'll give you a hint on why I talked about this article because financial freedom was this arbitrary goal I made up so that if anything beyond those other six or seven priorities have already been filled up, I can just place it in the financial freedom bucket. Um, That way I can kind of take it out of my hands. Any final thoughts or advice, guidance? Yeah, I'd say that this is more for accumulators because that's another thing to keep in mind is when you do retire, I have to remind myself of this, um, the income needed today is not necessarily the income needed then because – as mentioned, a lot of my expenses are earmarked for future savings, for college, for retirement, uh, taxes, things like that, that when I am in my later years, I probably won't be saving all these for these things. So um, it, it definitely is more for accumulators. And uh, hopefully that financial freedom chapter is a little bit easier then. Yeah. And you bring up a good point, because sometimes you kind of just think, hey, I make, I don't know, Somebody like thinks in their mind, like, I make $400,000, therefore I need $400,000 in dividends in order to retire. And hold on. 
like what's the gap between what you currently pay for medical and what Medicare will be? Um, you're not going to be putting $20,000 into your 401k anymore when you're retired. Like mm-hmm. your kids are out of the house and you're now an empty nester. All those things have factors and they all find their way to your budget. So I think it's a really good point on uh, kind of the difference between that in the accumulation stage. And I always call it distribution, but is there another word for it? Financial freedom. Decumulation, <laughs> financial freedom. Yeah, so uh, it's fun. My my mother-in-law was reading uh, last week's article, uh, and she was complimenting on it or, or whatnot, and, and I mentioned to her, it's because you're living this right now. You're in financial freedom, and um, she sent a fun text this week that they're going to do uh, a little trip, but we just lost uh, um, her mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law, and um, yeah, they're going to get away, and it was just a, a reminder like I pen these articles and it's interesting, intellectually stimulating for me, but it's real life for other people. Yeah. Does she ever say anything negative about your articles? True mom fashion. She probably only has good things to say, right? I don't think she reads them very often. Oh. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> I think she had some free time and stumbled upon it and, um, and read it. So um, nonetheless, we hope that you enjoy this podcast um, and all the things we're offering to try to be helpful. Um, we will ask a favor that you'd rate the podcast. Five stars are preferred. You can leave comments. Um, we love the dialogue. I've gotten some really good emails recently, and they were encouraging, so I appreciate that. Um, so if you have a criticism, don't email me. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> you can reach Sean or myself, Trevor, at T-O-M-Tom at thebonsagroup.com. Um, we will do our best to bring interesting and life application personal finance topics here to Thoughts on Money. And, of course, we'll be back next week with more of our Thoughts on Money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.